Investments Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algeman. Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. Today, I'm joined by Kasu Sista, a data management thought leader and mentor of mine for many years. He's the founder of The Wisdom Chain, a local Chicago-area data management consulting firm. Kasu has tremendous experience in management consulting, startups, and has built data systems and governance capabilities for organizations in, I think, every industry that exists. Kasu, welcome to the program. Please take a few minutes to give the audience some of the highlights of your career. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, thanks for having me on this program. And so the Wisdom Chain, my company, pretty much follows my career. So if you talk about the, the chain of data, mm -hmm. data to information, to knowledge, and uh, to wisdom, really my, my career started out that way. Uh, dealing with the data at the lowest level, I worked for an uh, options exchange where mm -hmm. I used to handle the ticker data and had to make that into a consolidated ticker and give it to the um, traders. And that was my first realization that users typically don't care about how cool uh, your program is or how cool the <laughs> oh, technology is. Right? Ain't it the truth, <laughs> ain't it the truth. <laughs> so I had this really high opinion of myself as a developer. Yeah. And I was using all kinds of techniques. I was a computer science graduate. Mm -hmm. And then I go to the traders and say, look, all the stuff I did is like, well, that price doesn't look right, right? So it's, it's really boiled down to, and that was a huge lesson for me. And that same lesson repeated, had to repeat over many of my career steps mm. before it actually, you know, got ingrained in me. Sure. That nobody cares if you're Java, C++, what operating system, you know, just keep it to yourself because <laughs> you, other people don't really care about it, right? And so from there, I worked for a funds transfer company. And that's another place where data and data quality and the governance, we didn't call it those things in those days, but became really important because the accounts had to be right mm -hmm. and the routing numbers had to be right. right? So you, you're going to the right bank, you're going to the right account and the money gets deposited in the right person's account. Mm -hmm. So without knowing i got into the path of the data as i went along sure and then basically i started a um a client server data company mm -hmm. and so we did a lot of data modeling and uh, as part of that i met some of the luminaries now thought of as you know the uh, really the stalwarts of the industry like cod and date and Peter Chan and some of these guys were my colleagues. Mm. Right? I mean, I didn't work with them, but you know, and as consultants, we used to run into each other, and we'd have lunches and dinners. And and you know, Larry Ellison, for example, I used to run into him uh, at shows because he would be there with his uh, Oracle database and the computer. Oh yeah. And so, so really. And then from there, I progressed into management consulting. I worked for Navigant for a little while. Hmm. And then um, started a, a company that did visual search. Again, it's storing pictures as data. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you figure out, how do you model that, right? So that's, oh, yeah. so that's another. Um, and then eventually, when you, uh, when you met me, we were both working for a 
management consulting firm. At that point, I was really beginning to, you know, we started the BI practice at uh, the consulting firm, right? And then we did metadata management, data governance. And then since then, I've been focusing on uh, those aspects of data management. And at Consulink, it's really more of bringing together um, all the things that I learned as a data management professional and building a warehouse and saying, what's the most important data that we need mm-hmm. and what data that we need to take care of? And we'll talk about this later as, you know, what, what the lessons learned were from Consulink in more detail. Yeah. And uh, to now where I am uh, trying to help corporate clients with incubating and implementing data governance programs. So going into more than just doing strategy, right? How do you actually get governance on the ground? Right. Well, I want to I want to mention because I, this is one of the things that like, you know, our our friendship and and relationship was built like for folks out there that haven't done the the glamorous life of being a consultant. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, a project that Kasu and I were on. And I won't talk about the client or the, or the project specifics. But the thing that I remember is that we had to travel from Chicago to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And there were basically two ways you can get there. You can either like fly through Dallas and take Take a connecting flight to Baton Rouge and then be there, but you have to take two flights from Chicago. And Chicago, we're all spoiled because you can usually fly direct to wherever you want to go. Um, or the other way, which is the way we ended up taking, which was we would fly to New Orleans and then rent a car and then drive about an hour to get to Baton Rouge. So every week we would be there, you know, very early Monday morning. We would be at the airport, hanging out, having coffee, talking before the flight. We'd have the flight. Um, we'd get to the airport in in New Orleans. We'd we'd walk. We'd go get the car. And we'd take this drive through pretty boring terrain between New Orleans and Baton Rouge. Yes. And we'd talk about this stuff. We would talk about data. We'd talk about data management. We would talk about, you know, what the client was facing, but also what are the, the bigger picture things and how does it all connect? And in what's been fascinating is in in seeing how you've you know your career trajectory has gone it, it, it mine kind of models similar things where you just kind of start in technology circles and you're building data systems and you're doing data modeling but then the longer you go you realize just how important all of this is to the businesses that you're serving and so the work that you've done in in some of those startup businesses and and you mentioned consulting you know to me the next extension is not only is it important to the business, but it's important to their customers and the people behind it. And and some of the work that you were doing at Counseling, especially, you know, really touched the lives of the people directly because of the data. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So, you know, we, I was part of a, um, a private equity home office, right? mm-hmm. um, Comer, you know, Gary Comer was the founder of Sand, and it's well known in the Chicago area. And uh, they always wanted to do something for the underserved in the Chicago area, especially the south and southwest and west side of Chicago. Right. And so they established this care management company, which has a very innovative model. And what they would do is they would send non-clinical workers into the neighborhoods Hmm. to find out what the needs are in the neighborhood and who are some of the um more high risk patients right and give them personalized attention mm-hmm. right 
uh, arrange transportation for them, for example, you know, um, uh, arrange for somebody to watch their kids. You know, it's not just care management in the sense you get a phone call from your insurance company <laughs> and it says, how are you doing? You know, um, go listen to our podcast. It'll tell you how to manage your diabetes, right? Yeah. And that's really the extent of care management, at least back in 2013 when we started counseling. And so that company needed some way of determining who the high-risk patients are. Mm-hmm. And inform the clinics, because we were actually supplying reports to about 22 hospitals and 180 clinics in the Chicago area, mm-hmm. right? So the data that we used were claims data, both pharmacy and um, uh, clinical claims, and uh, admit trans- admit um, discharge and transfer data, which is real-time alerts, and a whole bunch of historical data we had on these patients because they've been Medicaid patients, um, almost six years worth of historical data. Right. And so we had to combine all this data, warehouse it, and be able to generate reports on a daily basis, most of the time before uh, eight or nine o'clock in the morning before the clinical workers came to work, mm-hmm. the workers came to work, and we had to do that um, on a daily basis. You know, so, so it, oh, yeah. I just wanted to, to interject for a second is that it's amazing to me that you guys were providing this is 2013. This is seven plus years ago. Right. You're providing the service, holistic medicine and, and like the things related to care for Medicaid population for for folks that are disadvantaged because they're literally not going to get to the healthcare if they don't have those services. But in times that we're recording this with with the coronavirus outbreak and um, you know COVID nineteen, you know we're seeing a, a fundamental breakdown in this kind of transaction based medicine that the rest of our healthcare system seems to be uh, revolving around. Like that that's the foundation of it, and so the we're now needing that kind of care for everybody. And it's not there. It's not. It's not there at all. It's not there because the the people that the way our health system is set up is not geared towards that. Right? It's right. not geared towards reaching to the patient. It's geared towards the patient coming to the provider. Yeah. Not the other way, right? And you see this shift because care management has become much more important to all the providers and payers now. Mm-hmm. And people are shifting the models, and mostly because of the data that's available and the data analytics that are available, right, around this problem. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, we're going to have a very interesting conversation once this is over about nationalized health, national health care, uh, and right. where healthcare should be coordinated from, right? That's right. And so, so it's going to be it's going to be a very interesting conversation uh, around healthcare, not just around healthcare, but around essentials. Right? Mm-hmm. How do you manage essentials um, when something like this happens? Right, right. So, so, so you were you were talking about something else with with Consulink, and I want to kind of bring it all the way forward to you know where you know you you worked at Consulink for several years, uh, helping them do something that was you know to me you know I spent a lot of time uh, like you I spent some time in the in the financial industry, and and it I always felt it a little bit empty like I wanted to do something beyond just making rich people richer. 
And I felt like, you know, working in, in something like Consolink where you're where you're impacting real people very directly through the work that you're doing. Um, there's something to really be uh, there's something beyond a paycheck that you get by doing something like that. And and I know that's something that's Im- important to you as well. Um, since then, what have you been up to and, and what is uh, the wisdom chain all about? You touched on it before, but I want to you know make sure that people understand this is what you're what you're doing now. Yeah. So basically what I see is data is important right mm-hmm. so i we talked about my career and how i got into uh data and so data can be used for like you said for empty purposes right? mm-hmm. or data can be used what i call mission oriented purposes yeah. you know something that's going to help somebody so i'm really been working mostly since i have um you know we sunsetted um counseling I've been working with companies that are mission-oriented, right? Mm-hmm. I work with a, um, a medical devices company, and they, they, they make uh, devices for people to be able to be active. Mm-hmm. And, and they had issues with their master data. And, so, and they need a governance around that and the data quality program. So I was part of a team that established that. Mm-hmm. And um, we... Then for the past um, last year, about six months, I spent incubating a data governance program for a large provider um, where they're having issues with all over the place, right? right? Because healthcare is, I mean, we say healthcare is behind technologically. Um, there are reasons for that. Mm-hmm. So it's not because healthcare organizations don't want to be right. forward thinking. Um, for the most part, how healthcare system works in this country, the regulations, the state level mandates, the federal level mandates, um, prevents them mm-hmm. from being able to do what they need to do. Um, for example, I'll give you an example. You know, HIPAA prevents you to talking about your patient to anybody with, but the patient, their provider, and the probably the insurance company. Mm-hmm. And that makes it really hard to share that data without a lot of paperwork, a lot of consents that has to happen. Right? Yeah. Well, and that, uh, ma- that manifests in, in, in real world problems that people have. Like we talked about kind of that transaction nature of, of the business. Well, how many people do you know? I mean, everybody has a story around how they had a claim that got denied and everybody pointed fingers at everybody else because each each player has a small little chunk of that entire value stream. Nobody wants to take the responsibility or nobody knows how to take the responsibility or are literally prohibited from taking the responsibility to, to solve these problems because things have been, um, you know, chunked up so much and the, you know, you, you could add on top of it, you know, incentive structures and the dollars and, and all of that, uh, it becomes a, it becomes a real pain. But I think that, you know, you make a good point though. Like, we've put a lot of restrictions on how data can be used and for good reason. Like we're not saying that they should be selling people's healthcare information to other companies. Nobody wants that. But what we do think is, is how can we help foster innovation through data in the healthcare space amongst this wide variety of players that, that exist out there? Yeah. And then, you know, we have a very mobile population prior to Corona (laughs) um, virus, right? I mean, I used to be on the uh, on the plane every week 
Um, And so if something happened to me while I'm traveling, you know, obviously I go into an emergency room or emergency care or go see a doctor. To get that information to my provider, to get that information to my insurance company, it's not, you know, non-trivial. That's right. For example, you know, if you remember that uh, payer that we worked for in Baton Rouge, they used to have a, tri- you know, it was a Blue Cross Blue Shield. Mm-hmm. So Blue Cross Blue Shield has this back channel, they call Blue Cross Blue Shield Association, which is really networks all the Blue Cross Blue Shield, Blue right. Shield payers, which sends these transactions. So if I see a, a blue um, provider in California, that claim had to, on that information, it has to come to the blue, my home blue, mm-hmm. which may be Chicago or Baton Rouge. Sure. And that transfer has to happen because everybody has a different system. Right. right. You know, and so, you know, as much, I'm, I'm going to digress a little bit, as much um, of a bad name that VA gets, mm. they're at least integrated across the nation. Yeah. Right. They have one system. So if somebody is in the system in uh, West Virginia, there they and that person happened to move to Oregon, mm-hmm. you know, their information is available. So there is something to be said about integrated systems, integrated uh, healthcare data. Yeah. Um, not in terms of organizations. Now we talk about integrated delivery networks, which talks about integrating, you know. Uh, the payments and the the clinical stuff and the deliveries, both, both ambulatory and uh, uh, inpatient, integrating all those. But we don't talk about integrating horizontally and saying, from a patient point of view, is my data integrated? No, you know, I have I see a few specialists, and I have to go across three different Epic systems. Mm-hmm. You know, Epic is. Now getting to the point where, you know, it'll show me in a dashboard. It'll pull data from all the different systems, show me in a dashboard, my personal data. But if I happen to go outside of Epic, now I'm out of luck. I need two <laughs> two apps right, to look at. So it's not always the health system's fault. I mean, we, we tend to fault the people that we see. Yeah. But our government has a lot to do with why health healthcare systems are the way they are. Yeah, well, if, if healthcare systems and 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 it trickle, you know, it, it trickles down to who's building data systems for those individual entities within the the healthcare systems, they're they're solving their immediate job at hand. How can I support the Absolutely. operations of my unit in this whole chain? Versus, there's not a real voice for saying who can provide data systems to help the patient to help the people that are trying to get this. Nobody's looking at it from that point of view. Patients aren't building their own data systems to put this stuff together, you know? And so there's nobody from that perspective. That should be what the government does or or mandates that, hey, while you're watching out for number one business in the healthcare industry, also watch out for the real number one, which are the people that should be served in terms of getting the healthcare that you are part of providing. And, and I think that's a really good point. I want to shift gears because I know that, you know, you've, you and I both, we've done a lot of work in, in data governance and data management consulting specifically. And, and for those that aren't super familiar with that, it's really about kind of all of this data systems tapestry and how it connects not only to other technology and, and the flow of data 
itself and the databases and all that, but really how people use it. What are what are the things that people should be doing with the data to have better organizations as a result of, of whatever those activities are? And so data governance and data management really help influence a lot of that because otherwise people would just be kind of off doing their own thing, trying to figure it out on their own. But one thing that, and you and I have had many conversations over the years about this, is that it's really hard to be successful in data governance consulting. It's really difficult to have businesses like ours that do this kind of work. Um, why do you think that is? What is it about this kind of function inside organizations that makes consulting in it so difficult to, to do well? And, you know, it's a very good question. And this is something that's been on my mind you know, uh, for a while because I have started many data governance programs. Mm -hmm. I have done quite a bit of data governance strategy and data management strategy. And it always ends up becoming a small effort as part of a big effort. It never seems to um, grow. Mm -hmm. big enough to encompass. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, <clears throat> one of the things, main reasons I think is really awareness, mm -hmm. what data governance can do for people. You know, I, I refer to it as diet and exercise. Mm -hmm. like people kind of vaguely know that if you eat healthy and uh, you exercise daily, then you're going to have a, you know, productive, happy life, right? And that's basically what we're selling. We're selling diet and exercise for data. <laughs> and how many people are really interested in diet and exercise, right? Right. And so I think it's, we have a, a marketing problem mm -hmm. more than anything else. We're saying, how do I create awareness in the corp company? Because it always seems to be a pockets of uh, people that are really interested and as a result of, for example, you know, auditor compliance would be really interested because auditor came in and said they need, gov you need governance. Mm -hmm. I was at a client, uh, you know, it's kind of funny actually. So we were there to do a data management, data governance strategy because their auditor said, you don't have a data governance strategy. And That's they said, right. oh, we need one. Oh yeah, it happens all the time, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, turns out the auditor was carrying out a book by John Landry on data governance. Mm -hmm. And so he was reading this and he says, oh, you guys are in payment business. You should be doing data governance. That's right. So he, the regulator, and you, I think you have a funny anecdote about regulators too. You can get to <laughs> But he was reading, uh, you know, our buddy John Landry's book. And John Landry, so he saw what some of the things that John Landry laid out in, in terms of governance and said, now he, so the bank has a directive to put data governance in place because the regulator read a book, right? Yeah. And, and so things like that happen. Are, you know, there is a breach and then all of a sudden security becomes important. Right. Governance becomes important. But you never think about governance in a holistic fashion because that goes back to the root of how data gets created, right? You and I talked about this many mm -hmm. times. Companies don't are not born fully formed $10 billion companies. Right. So when you started your company, were you thinking about data? 
data governance? Well, I didn't. I wasn't thinking about data governance per se, but I was definitely thinking about you know how how can I you know do the right things with data as as my organization started to grow. Yeah. Yeah. So, with counseling, for example, you know, when I started out, it was I was the first employee. I had to go build this organization, build a mm -hmm. warehouse. The last thing in my mind was how am I going? How am I going to govern data? Right. I'm right. trying to get the organization, build a team. And by the time we got to a decent size, 15, 20 people, I already has too much data and too many processes <laughs> in place. That's right. And you had to go back and retrofit. And we did to a certain extent. Yeah. And um, so that's why things get messed up because people are not paying attention and they're not going to be paying attention. Yeah. So we have to back, go back and create awareness and say, show them cause and effect. Mm -hmm. If this happens, this happens. Good and bad, right? Mm -hmm. Here are the good things that happen if you have good quality data. And here are the bad things that could happen if bad quality data. And and that has nothing to do with steering committees, work groups, that and all that stuff. It has to be more come from the communication side of the company, the organizational change management side of the company. Mm -hmm. And that's my current thinking is really the, the more, you know, straightforward action oriented aspects of data governance are well known, right? We've been selling this data governance frameworks for 15, 20 years now. Right. Right. And I have heard very few success stories. I don't know how many you have known. <laughs> Um, personally, most of them are very small, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of success stories. So how do we get back to people thinking about governance as something that helps them as opposed to something that hinders them? Right? Yeah. Well, I, and, and I think that, you know, you, you make some good points and, and I think it goes beyond just, you know, how people are thinking about data governance. And I think a lot of the data governance organizations out there, even the ones that haven't been very successful, they're doing a lot of the right things. But I think that we've positioned data governance kind of historically as uh, this, this kind of floating, you know, nebulous collection of other stuff. Sometimes it starts like what you mentioned with a, a, a regulator carrying around John Ladley's book on data governance and saying, oh, we need to check a bunch of boxes now. Like that, yeah. that is how data governance gets started. But if that's the beginning and end of data governance, you're really going to accomplish very little other than checking boxes, right? And so it's about saying, what matters? What matters? We have all this data. I'm like, you know, people, organizations, you'll, you'll sometimes hear, they'll say, oh, well, we want to do data monetization. And I'm like, that's a great idea. That's fine. But recognize what data monetization is. Primarily, it's about helping your business monetize the value of data. It's not about saying, let's go find a bunch of businesses ju just wish they had more data. Those businesses don't exist. Those every business has too much data. Even my tiny little yes. consulting firm has too much data now. Like <laughs> right. that's not the problem. The problem is what we're doing with it. And where data governance has really fallen down, in my opinion, is that we fail to connect all of those activities to things that actually matter to the business and how we're serving our customers, how we're driving revenue, how we're doing the strategic things in our business. Because our data yeah. governance people have been focused on data. They've been focused on trying to do that early part of it and far right. less 
less on the how does this actually matter? And it, it, it comes down to two things. It comes down to one, making sure that what they do actually matters. And two, making sure people know that they did things that actually matter. Because I think that that's that's where even even the people that have done it all right with data governance and put in the things they needed to and check the boxes for the right reasons and all that still can fail because they fail to bring that message and that awareness to the rest of the organization on just how important this is. And it's so frustrating for folks like you and I that have been in this profession for a long time that have said, you know, just because so many people have done it wrong doesn't mean that this isn't important. Like this is important and failing at it is a huge detriment to your business. Now one that may mean the difference between success and survival of your business and you know, going out of business. And that's the stakes that that, this is. So even though it's hard, you know what? That's, it doesn't change the fact that it's necessary. Do you agree with that? Uh, Totally. I know. So I'll give you an example with with the counseling. So we had this report, it's called the ER alerts, emergency room alerts. If somebody comes in, no, let's say I'm a clinic, I'm in Lawndale. Mm -hmm. You know, I have um, 50,000 Medicaid patients that I take care of. And chances are several of them are in the emergency room on a daily basis. It'd be good to know that, right? It'd be good to know my patient is in the emergency room and for these reasons. And here are the specific um, health conditions that he has. Mm. So we, we produce that report and probably has 15, 16 fields on it. And most of the most of the data comes from directly from the sources, source source files that we get, and we have um, a bunch of calculated fields. Right? What was important for us to make sure that we are doing the calculations right is to establish the lineage for those 15 fields. So it's not a massive amount of governance we had to do. Mm. It's Pick the most the important reports. If you can prioritize what's important for you, uh, from a finance perspective, from operations perspective, mm-hmm. and then if you can establish lineage for the elements in that report, both in terms of man, master data and the transactional data, that's a good place to start, as opposed to saying, I am going to govern provider data, mm-hmm. you know, which may be 150 fields. Do you really need to govern all of provider data? I don't think so. That's right. Right? So figure out, prioritize what you need to govern. And governance starts for me is establishing lineage from where it's being used to where it originates. Makes sense. And, and and that's a business facing function, because how many reports out there where an executive gets them? It's like, where's this data coming from? That's a question everybody hears. And we need a good way of articulating that because sometimes it's complicated. And it's not like I, I, I think you make a great point. We can't solve for everything. We, we have too much data. We don't even know what to do with a lot of it. We can't make it all perfect. Like that's not a real that's not a viable option for us. So we have to pick our spots and decide on things that can really help 
drives something that matters. And I think when we're responsive to that and we're, we're out there working with the people using the data, the ones that are trying to drive better activities and decisions through their use of the data and have valid questions about, can I rely on this information to do the things that I want to do? That's, that's up to us in the data governance, data management world to provide them that clarity to provide them yes you can do what you want to do with this data or no don't do that that that's going to cause problems and and we need to be you know fair about it we can't just be saying well here's the data it should be good do whatever you want let us know if you have any problems we need to be active in doing that shepherding that teaching folks how to do that more i think that's why we see so much with data literacy these days uh, because organizations are like yeah it's great we know data is important but how do we get everybody in the organization working with this data in a consistent, meaningful, predictable, reliable way? And that's really what we've been trying to do for a long time under the, the umbrella of data governance or on the, under the umbrella of data quality. It's the same challenge using different words. Um, is that what you're seeing too? Or do, do your clients talk a lot about data literacy these days or are they still talking a lot about data governance and, and data quality specifically? Um, what do you think that that, that kind of language is, is evolving or, or is it still mostly how it's been? It's mostly, I think, within the um, within IT and data management people. Mm -hmm. And um, it hasn't caught on. So here is, you know, as an IT professional, having been an IT professional most of my, all my career, mm -hmm. I think we have sort of a parent-child relationship with our business people. Yeah. Right. We're always looking for approval. We're saying, hey, I did this. Is this okay? Right? <laughs> and I think that has to change. I think one of the biggest lessons I learned over my career, which I learned this way early in my career, is know your business. doesn't matter you're an IT person. You have to understand how your company makes money. Yeah. Right? And your business people are in they're helping the company make money right and if it is not seen as making the company money or mm -hmm. helping them make money then we're always going to be the stepchild we're always going to be the cost center mm -hmm. so the minute i start talking in terms of business like if i'm if i'm speaking to a a pricing analyst right and I understand how his pricing tiers work, mm -hmm. why it's important to tier the prices in tiers. And then I say, hey, this is what we can do for you to make your life easier to maintain those tiers. Mm -hmm. That's a hell of a lot better conversation than saying, can you tell me how pricing works? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to write, model it for you. Right? Uh. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, I have I feel like I have this conversation daily because you can't just hand over a piece of paper and say, tell me about the data systems you need or tell me about the we need to have that that um, communication be bidirectional. I think I, I think about this all the time and I talk about it in the book and, and things like that. It's like we have we have broken down these communication mechanisms between the business and, and technology folks or data folks to this one directional dump of here are my requirements. Go build it for me now. And that's just going to lead to suboptimal outcomes. Like, well, that's just not 
enough anymore. We need to be collaborative in a real way. And, and, and us as the data folks saying, how can we help you do what you need to do better? Because the big thing, the thing that matters so much is that as data folks, whether we're doing data governance or we're building data warehouses or we're doing reporting or you name it, we require somebody else to take that and make it valuable in the organization. We need them to do something with it. And if we just build a bunch of cool stuff that nobody ever uses, we will not have added any value. And they will be right when they're like, hey, you're a cost center. You're not doing anything for us. Well, maybe right. we're not. And we are, yeah, and think about it. We're, we're uniquely positioned to understand how the company works. Yeah. Right? Because what is data? Data is the execution of business processes, right? Mm-hmm. And we are seeing the trail of how business runs. Yeah, it's the artifacts. It's the evidence. It's it the is evidence. I say it's of, the closest of, thing to truth that we have in our organization. We have in our organization. And we are uniquely positioned to have access to that. Yeah. Not, you know, we see HR data. We see uh, operations data. We see finance data. We see all the data, right? And then all you have to do is read your company's 10K filings, mm-hmm. read your annual report, right? I was just going through a um, annual report of a you know, potential client. And they have, a, you know, 10K filing. They have identified 33 risks. <laughs> In that, just reading through the risks, I know what they're looking for. Yeah. I know how do you mitigate risk? How do you optimize for performance? All those you don't even have to, you know, the, the 10K filing is like 400 pages. But there is gold in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As as an IT person, you should read that. I don't care what level of IT you are at. Mm-hmm. Understand what your company is doing. Understand their business. And you'll be that much more effective in talking to the business people. And it really becomes our business. It's not going to be IT people and the business people. Right. Yeah. It has to be us. That's right. Well, Kasu, I think we're running a little bit short on time. So before we go, you know, first off, it's been awesome having you on here. Hopefully we'll be able to have you on again uh, real soon. Um, Do you have any other closing thoughts? Any other any other points that you'd like to make before we call it a show? So I made it. I made three things to take away. Right. Uh, So we didn't really get into this, but always model data for purpose, mm-hmm. right? Not so if you're building a dimensional model, corporate information factory, semantic model, data lake, understand the needs of why the business would would need that model, right? right. Um, you probably need all of them, which is okay. You don't have to have a single enterprise data model. Mm-hmm. And use data judiciously, just because you have petabytes of data doesn't mean you have to use all of it. Mm. Again, let the business purpose drive your use of data, right? And know your lineage. And I, because all the other things flow from your data quality program, your data governance program, right? Mm-hmm. Your uh, data integration program, your data enrichment program, they all flow from understanding lineage of data, yeah. right? And so those are the things that I, you know, other than what we just talked about, know your business, mm-hmm. 
And when you're dealing with data, keep those three things in mind. I think you'll do very well as a data management professional. Fantastic. Kasu, thank you for being on the show. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. And, and I, I, all of the, the great wisdom, um, I definitely can see uh, the, the value in, in the wisdom chain and, and in the perspective that you bring. <laughs> thank you, Anthony. And uh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure always talking to you, whether on camera or not. <laughs> and, um, and thanks for everybody that's going to be listening in. Absolutely. So to the audience out there, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, Please remember to follow, subscribe, like, rate, and leave a review of our show on YouTube and all the major podcast platforms. You can find information about supporting the show directly and how to get a signed copy of my data leadership book at patreon.com forward slash data leadership lessons. Visit albin.com to learn more about Albin data leadership and the many ways we can help you become a data leader. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact.